Hello and welcome to the week two Megapod here on thelines.com. Matt Brown, Adam Candy, Stephen Andrews. We're going to break down each and every game on the slate. Listen, if we don't have any thoughts on the game, we'll move right along. We're not going to waste your time here, but certainly some interesting games and certainly some bets in the account here on the show. If you want to follow Adam over on the Twitter machine at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y. Steven is at Steven Anders one. You want to follow me at Matt Brown M2. Of course, everything we do absolutely free. So go into all the lines accounts and subscribe, rate, review, do all the different things on YouTube, whether you listen to us on the audio side or the video side. We do appreciate your support over there. Let us know in the comments if you're watching us on video, what games did we get wrong? What bets should we have made or what bets that are in our account are absolutely hideous. We like to hear that as well. But let's kick things off here, boys, with the first game of the week. And this one maybe is one of those hold your nose plays. It's the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback and Joe Flacco at quarterback. And we're sitting right now six and a half. Thirty nine is the low in the market out there as far as total. Most every other book is sitting at thirty nine and a half. So, yes, we have a sub 40 total here in week one. Stephen, I'm going to start with you because we were talking a little bit before the hit the record button here. And you actually you actually have a play in this one. Yeah, uh, hold your nose special, and I'm not alone at thelines.com. If you go to our Gridiron Gamble podcast, if you go to Mo Nawara's write-ups, if you go to Eli Hershkovich's write-ups, this is a popular side this week, and it's the, God help us, the the J-E-T-S at plus six and a half here. So if, if you look at the way the Browns-Panthers spread closed last week, Panthers closes a one-and-a-half point favorite. So basically a pick em on a neutral field with this version of the Browns. So now the Browns are a six and a half point home favorite against the Jets. Are we to believe that the Panthers would be a six point home favorite against the Jets too? Like I I patently reject that. And just overall with the way the Browns want to play offense under Jacoby Brissett, I am never laying six and a half points with this team. So I am taking a leap of faith. Joe Flacco is the quarterback. I don't love that, obviously, but the Browns offense to me was highly questionable to cover this spread, and I thought was pretty lucky to win the game last week, needing a 58-yard field goal. The Browns lost yards per play 5.2 to 4.8. They allowed more than seven yards per play in the second half to the Carolina Panthers, Percet less than five yards per attempt passing, Conklin on the offensive line still limited. And the Jets were pretty stout against the run, believe it or not, against the Ravens last week, allowing three yards per carry on the ground to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So, um, yeah, I mean, give me the points here. I'm going to go over to you here, Adam. I mean, I'm not, I can't, there's no way I could back this Jets team. I mean, anytime you have to have Joe Flacco throw 59 times in a game, that's bad and you're not good. And I understand the whole yards per carry. One of the things you'll learn about Steven as we watch over the course of the season, Steven likes to take spreads from the week before and try to make them comparatively to the week after, which has no correlation whatsoever, but Steven loves to do this. And so I don't care what the spread was last week in a game in week one that we knew nothing about any of these teams. 
changed and the and the books have made adjustments like I, this this is it's complete nonsense i cannot, clearly, oh my clearly God. they haven't it's i mean a, they're making my, the browns a six and a half point it, it, favorite against the team with jacoby Brissett, the quarterback well right but that's the, that's an, that's an testament to i think where the jets stand in the grand scheme of things as opposed to to anything else but adam i'll go to you on this i mean like listen I understand what's going to happen here. It's going to be a gross, disgusting game. We're sitting literally one book out there at 39 right now on this total. But the Browns are just going to run the ball 40 times in this game. The Jets are not going to be able to stop them every time that they run the ball. It's just not going to happen. And I don't know where the points are going to come from on the Jets side as well. Flacco looked completely washed. It's not like we didn't know he was completely washed, but he looked completely washed last week as well. Um, that offensive line has some, has some real, real, real issues. And I am wondering how in the hell they're going to stack up against this Browns pass rush. Like I think Flacco is going to be under duress all game long. I'm not betting it, but like, there's no way in hell you could catch, catch me with a Jets bet in my account. I like it when I get to find out all the interesting little dynamics of the podcast here as, as the new guy. And this guy likes doing it this way. This guy says there's no correlation. I'll say this about my feelings on the Jets and the Browns. The only thing I have an interest in, and I haven't played it yet, I'm still considering this as a first half under. Uh, If Joe Flacco is going to be potentially firing the ball in the air 50-odd times, look, no matter how many passes a bad quarterback throws, eventually a cornerback might fall down. Someone might blow an assignment. You could end up seeing some late kind of points to get over that 39. Uh, It's 19 and a half in the first half. I don't know that the Jets will get a touchdown in the first half, right? I don't know that if they try to script anything, it's going to go anywhere. And as you said, Matt, Cleveland just wants to run the ball. And I think what they saw last week is only going to enforce the fact that they want to run the ball and run the ball exclusively. So if we can get the clock moving in this thing and get it going quickly in the first half, I, that's the way I would look at it. Other than that, I don't have any interest. Last one. I'll just bring up here, Steven, um, 36 and a half rush yards for Kareem Hunt. Like, I understand he's definitely operating as the number two behind Nick Chubb there. But again, if I think that there's going to be 40 rush attempts in this game, which I probably think there are, and 25 of them go to Chubb and 15 of them go to Hunt, I mean, he's going to get that fairly easily. Now, I could be wrong on the projections and maybe they throw the ball. Who knows? Maybe they come out slinging. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's week two. We have no idea what the tendencies are of these teams, but it seems like the path of least resistance is use that offensive line, use your two weapons at running back. And if that's the case, I mean, Kareem Hunt is going to get to 37 rush yards in this game. While we're talking about things we've learned on this podcast, what I've learned over the past year is that Matt is much better at props than I am. I suck at props, (laughs) and I will only be giving my last prop for the entire season on this podcast. I'm not doing it for the rest of the year. (laughs) After a swift kick in the nuts week one, that I still suck at props. So, uh, But but you know what? Is the Ravens offense better than this version of, of the Cleveland Browns offense. I think we'd all mostly agree yes there. And the Jets defense did hold the Ravens to 5.2 yards per play last week, a below average mark if you look at last season's yards per play averages. Uh, Eli notes in his best bets column that the Browns defense had the 10th highest EPA per carry in week one, which was similar to its defensive output last year. So despite the talent, they're not putting up elite numbers on defense. So uh, I just, I don't, 
don't think the Jets want Joe Flacco to throw it 50 plus times in a game. I think they were down 14 points halfway through the third quarter and they just started airing it out. So I just think with the way these two teams want to play offense, we're in for a rock fight here and it's a pretty good chance we stay within one possession. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Even at 39, if I had to play the total, I'd play the under as well. Like this has like 17-10 or 17-14 like written all over it in, in, in my opinion. Just a disgusting, gross game. Bucks and the Saints. Now, this one, you want to talk about a disgusting, gross game. It's because we have no idea who's going to be out on the field for either one of these teams. This injury report for both of these guys is absolutely atrocious. As we sit right now, the Bucks are two and a half point road favorites over the Saints. 44 and a half is your total. Adam, I'll go to you here. Look, I have the Saints in a teaser leg that I made earlier in the week because I thought, hey, this is going to be an absolutely awesome play. We knew at the very least that Chris Godwin was very unlikely to go for the Bucs. Now, he is not going to go this week, but now they've got about 10 other guys on the injury report. Now, the Saints have about 10 other guys on the injury report, and so I don't love the teaser leg. I don't hate it at this point. I'm fine that it's in my account, but I just assumed I was getting the much healthier team at home and getting to take them up to eight and a half points, in which case I will love that all day long in a game of the 44 total. And then it comes out that Alvin Kamara might not go. And now the offensive lineman's questionable. And this guy's questionable. So I don't know. It's it's tough on a Friday morning where we don't have the official injury reports to really give the full thoughts here. But but what what do you look at here with the Bucks and Saints? Yeah, I'm with you, Matt, that I think the eight and a half teaser leg is very attractive on New Orleans. And I still actually think it even despite the injury situation on the New Orleans side, because I think this is way more about Tampa Bay than it is about New Orleans. We kind of know what the Jameis Winston Saints will be right and I think what you saw in the fourth quarter in Atlanta last week is more representative than what you saw in the first three quarters and it goes back to what we've discussed which is that with so few preseason snaps for first string offensive players together you kind of saw last week as a feeling out process right we heard a lot about sharp guys playing unders last week and a lot of that ended up playing out. So I'm not worried about the team that couldn't get moving against the Falcons early on. What I am worried about on the Bucs side is who's going to be around to catch passes. What I am worried about on the Bucs side as well is against a Dallas defense that was sort of Micah Parsons and nothing else, they couldn't finish drives. Uh, and so ultimately you end up with 19 points in a game against the Cowboys in which the Cowboys couldn't sustain anything offensively. I think you have legitimate questions uh, about what Tampa Bay's offense is going to be able to do against the Saints defense that we know is one of the best in the NFL. So don't listen to the noise that you're going to hear this week about the Saints own the Bucks and what it's been in the regular right. season, this and that, right? Like, it's different bodies in different uniforms. That's not the kind of noise that you want in your head. I think what you do want is that if the total is as low as it is, the teaser legs out to eight and a half. I think that's your play. Steven, we take a look and the reason Adam mentions like who's going to catch the ball. And again, this is maybe the most injury, most important injury report of the week for any of the games because Russell, this is all from Thursday. Russell Gage, who was unable to play last week due to injury was limited. Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans, all DNPs on Thursday for this Buck squad. So it is very tough. Tackle Chris, uh, Christian Wirfs, limited participant as well. We already know the offensive line was banged up. Donovan Smith, another tackle, was a DNP for them. Leonard Fournette, out of nowhere, was a limited participant in practice. And so it is just one of those deals where this is the walking wounded already here in week two for this Bucks team that 
even if some of these guys do play, we know that the injuries were bad enough for them to be DNPs on Thursday. So how effective will they actually be? And what is the level of, of re-injury concern we have with those guys? So it's just, it's tough for me to find a solid, solid reason to back Tampa, knowing what we know heading into the game. For sure. At the start of the week, this was a, a smash spot for me on New Orleans. But then Alvin Kamara pops yep. up on the injury report. He's dealing with bruised ribs. Um, it's it's great. Cam Jordan, was, Cam Jordan was limited, who obviously on that defensive line, we think is, yeah. is a big mismatch for them. I mean, like it's just it's so it's not only Kamara, right? It, it's Jameis even was a limited participant. We know he's going to play, but he's dealing with some sort of something. So it's just both of these key players on on both teams. For sure. I think, though, at this juncture, as we record on Friday morning, I am more concerned about the Bucks injury mm -hmm. situation, in particular, the tackles being not at 100 percent, because we already felt that the interior offensive line was taking a step back with some replacements and backups coming into the season. Now you have the tackles that are not at 100 percent against a Saints defensive front that, yes, they got run on a little bit with a mobile quarterback mm -hmm. last week, but now they face a 45-year-old statue back there who, and if they want to run the ball, which Todd Bowles has emphasized, the Bucks shifted from the number one team last year in pass rate to bottom six in week one, and that I don't think was necessarily totally because of the game script. I think Todd Bowles has talked about wanting to be more balanced. And the Saints were the number one rush D last year in terms of both rush EPA and success rate. So I think there's a lot of reasons to like the matchup here for the Saints. I think that we've seen it in past regular season matchups between these teams. Marcus Lattimore has been up and down in his career, but he's always been very good covering Mike Evans. Um, I, I still am very comfortable with the Saints as a plus eight and a half teaser leg here, mostly because Jameis Winston impressed me week mm -hmm. one. He was top three in completion percentage over expectation, putting the ball on point in some tight windows. And we've talked about coming into the season that we felt like these two teams were a little mispriced in the market, maybe too much credit for the Bucks, not enough credit for the Saints. I think this is a good spot to take advantage of that in a teaser leg. Adam, real quick, 44 and a half on this total. We got a, again, a mash unit on the offensive line for the Bucks. I mean, the only guy that graded out well last week, Tristan Wirfs, is the guy who's on the injury report for them. Everybody else was complete garbage. You saw Brady having to do the self-sacks. He was having to get rid of the ball at the fastest rate that he's had to in a couple of seasons as well, just to be able to get the ball out. And then if the, we are dealing with the Camara injury, maybe there's something kind of nagging Jameis as well. This is not going to be the under show or anything like that. But again, I, I 44 and a half to me, we know 44 from a total perspective is at least a semi key number. The under for me seems like the play in this one as well, because I don't know how effective either one of these offenses is, is really going to be. The only thing I would keep in mind if you're going to play the under is that I think the market has already priced it to some degree when you look at what the total in a Bucks game would normally be, especially a Bucks game inside uh, without weather concerns for Tom Brady. I'm with you, though. I would not be drawn in by seeing 44 and say 44 with their ability yeah. to throw the ball. I'm playing that over. No, absolutely. Yeah, this is not last year's Bucks team. This is Bruce Arians is not in charge of this team anymore. I don't think they're going to be at the top of the league in pass rate anymore. Carolina Panthers and the New York Giants. New York Giants coming off their first win of the season, going for two. I feel maybe a little too early, and maybe with the team having timeouts and things like that, that the decision 
is questionable at best. But hey, they got the job done. That helps me towards my alt over that I have on the New York football giants this season. They find themselves as one and a half to two point home favorites here over the Carolina Panthers, a total of 43 to 43 and a half Carolina Panthers lose on a last second 58-yard field goal by the Cleveland Browns, and that's how they they start the season 0-1. Steven, if we take a look at this one, I mean, listen, it is a it, it is a potential teaser situation if you wanted to go with the Panthers. I am going to not because I am, again, a little bit higher on the Giants than most people are this season. I feel like the Giants are at least a, at least a semi-good team where I do not feel that way about the Carolina Panthers. So it's a pass for me on this one kind of all around. If anything, I would play the Giants as short favorites. And I know that's crazy to say that we enter this week where I'm sitting here saying I'd play the Giants as as short favorites. But that's kind of where I sit with all of this. I do believe Daniel Jones will figure out who the number one wide receiver is there at some point. And I think this offense has a little bit of upside. So for me, it's a pass, but it'd be Giants or nothing. I did play the Panthers as a teaser leg up to plus eight. I feel like I, I wonder, Matt, if the, if the Panthers are a two point dog, if if York misses a 58 yard field goal and the Giants don't convert on a two point conversion and or the Titans make that mm-hmm. field goal at the end of the game and the Giants lose. So I think the Giants are getting an extra point here, maybe with a little bit of credit for a couple of games that were, were coin tosses in week one. So happy to get the the Panthers up through the seven as well on the teaser leg here as a short uh, underdog. I mentioned again, I think they started clicking a little bit in the second half against an above average Cleveland defense, seven yards per play in the second half. Both offensive lines should give their quarterbacks time in this game. The New York Giants defensive line was 27th in in pass rush win rate in week one against an injured and at least on paper, an offensive line for Tennessee that wasn't supposed to be as good as last year. And as of right now, Thibodeau and Ojolari, most importantly for the Giants, are still limited participants in practice this week. I would love this teaser leg if I knew both of them mm-hmm. are out sure. and not playing in this week. I, I like it a little less if they are playing. So that that's kind of where I'm at on this one. I, I'm curious if, if anybody here likes the over. Uh, from Jeffrey Schreiber, our, one of our new writers at the Lions, he noted that the Carolina Panthers went from the seventh fewest snaps in 2020 to top 15 last year, and now they add Ben McAdoo, who was first, second, and second in his time in New York and no huddle rate. So I'm curious if this is a sneaky little over here with a low total at 43 and a half. Adam, you are our resident New York Giants football fan here. Congrats on the week one win. I honestly think that they played pretty well. And I thought Dayball, again, while I thought it was a little too early and considered that the and considering the other team had a timeout as well. Like I like to go for two in those situations where you're going for the win. And there was still enough time and with the, the other team having a timeout that it wasn't necessarily for the win. It was just to kind of go ahead. And then you obviously encourage them to play super aggressive then at that point. So I don't know. It can be counterintuitive sometimes, but uh, a win is a win is a win. So they are one and oh, and they find themselves as short favorites here in week two. A win is a win. And as much as you and I, Matt, are devotees of analytical numbers and the probabilities didn't necessarily back Brian Dable. Here's why I like that choice. And here's what I think Mm -hmm. it says about playing this game this week. I love that Brian Dable went to his defense and said to his defense, Mm -hmm. hey, guys, what do you think? We going for this? And the defense said to him, yeah, we're going for this. And you know what? 
they held it to the point where Randy Bullock had to make a long field goal. Randy Bullock didn't make a long field goal. And what do I like about that? I like the fact that Brian Dable has shown that he's going to be aggressive, right? Not necessarily he's going yep. to read the chart every time, but he's going to be aggressive. And I think that's going to give the Giants more opportunities to win ball games in the long run. Now, this particular game this week with the Giants laying less than a field goal at home, I'm going to pass on this game entirely for a couple of reasons. First of all, I hear the point that Steven's making about would this spread look like it does if the Giants ultimately lose that game? I think it would, and only for this reason. Uh, Baker Mayfield and Carolina were close last week, but they were close in a weird way because they were close with Baker Mayfield fumbling the ball four times and somehow getting all four back. Uh, and they were also close somehow only getting Christian McCaffrey 10 rushes, five targets and four catches. What I'm saying here is I don't trust Matt rule and I don't trust what's going on in mm -hmm. Carolina. And so I think the teaser leg looks it's pretty fair. obvious uh, in terms of getting those points. Uh, the reason I don't love the over is because I watched Daniel Jones last week and Daniel Jones threw one of the worst <laughs> interceptions you will ever see also was sacked five times. Adam, that was his only turnover worthy play, though. It was so, worth I mean, like, two listen, turnovers. If we're, if we're looking, if we're looking at the <laughs> upside here, I mean, like as a, as a guy who's followed Daniel Jones here for the last week, if he's only had if he only has one turnover worthy play in a game, that's got to be looking in the it right is direction. Running in the right, right direction, I think. And speaking of running <laughs> in the right direction, see what I did there. Saquon Barkley uh, <laughs> looked back last week. Uh, goes for 164 yards. And even if you take the long run out of it, he basically went 17 for 100, which is still pretty good uh, mm. for Saquon Barkley. And I think Brian Dable, even though he comes from the Buffalo offense of wanting to throw the ball more often, I think he also is going to be realistic about who Daniel Jones is and what their chances of winning are. And their chances of winning is looking at Carolina from last week, seeing the fact that they couldn't stop Cleveland on the ground as they went for more than 200 yards and keeping the ball on the ground. So I think the Giants are going to want to run this ball in this game that's what would get me off playing the total in terms of looking at that low total and saying over Matt that's what I was very curious about coming into the season right because we talked about how pass heavy Dable was in Buffalo but would he try and force that onto a roster that doesn't really fit that and a quarterback we saw the opposite right in week one this is a coach that has shown us evidence to tailor his offense around what personnel he has 32 rush attempts in week one to only 21 pass attempts I agree with Adam that that shows very positive signs for me another check in the right column for Brian Dable New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are sitting as two to two and a half point home underdogs here to this New England Patriots team that looked god awful in week one against the Miami Dolphins. Um, 40 and a half is the total pretty much across the board. There's 140 out there if you are looking to play an over. Majority of the books are sitting at 40 and a half. If we take a look at this one, Adam, I am. I, I look, I, I'm not trying to say this is like the under week for me or something, but again, even with the extremely low total of 40 and a half, I mean, I look at both of these teams, the, I think the Patriots offense and by no doing, I don't think of, of Bill Belichick or anything like, I think the Patriots offense has bottom five to bottom seven teams in the entire NFL potential this season. If you watched last week and I'm sure you did, 
there's just no dudes on that team. Like there's no playmakers whatsoever. Like there's nobody when the going gets tough that you go, you know, if you were Philadelphia, you would turn and be like, oh, here's where A.J. Brown gets involved. Or if you're in Cincinnati, it's like, here's where Jamar Chase is going to go crazy and et cetera, et cetera. Like they don't have no dudes there. Like there's nobody that you look at and think like, man, this is the guy that can really turn it around for this team. So I don't know. This feels like a wrong team favored situation. To me, I understand that T.J. Watt is going to be out. I do get that, but I don't think that it really matters all that much with how really putrid this Patriots offense looked last week and could be again this week. So uh, this this did make the card as a teaser leg for me. Steelers up to eight, and uh, I feel really, really good about this, and I can't imagine this Patriots team, even if they win this game, I can't imagine the Patriots blowing anybody out. Like I just don't see it unless they're unless their opponent just has a a million turnovers, which I guess could potentially happen here with Mitch Trubisky. But I think it's highly unlikely. I like the way you're thinking about this, Matt. That even if New England wins, the idea of this New England team being able to win by that amount of points in a game that doesn't feature a lot of turnovers, and I don't think this game's going to feature a lot of turnovers because both teams want to pound the ball relentlessly. They know who they have at quarterback. You know, on one hand, I can look at New England from last week and say, all right, well, they score seven points, but Mac Jones got them down close on the first drive through an interception in the end zone, right? And I could say, oh, well, they probably should have gotten points out of that drive. I also could look at it the other way and say those opportunities are absolute gold for New England. And if New England doesn't take advantage Mm -hmm. of them when they have them, they're going to put up seven points a lot. And I think you look at this game in particular and say, all right, I have these two teams power rated right next to each other, right? And so Mm -hmm. if I can get eight points with two teams that I see as completely equal, then I think I'm going with the eight points. So I have not played that. I like your play. Uh, yes, I, again, 40 and a half. I think the only way to play is under, even though 41 is a little on the key side. Um, but I don't want to get involved with that either. Steven, it looks like everything's fine with Najee Harris. He was a full participant at practice on Thursday. So nothing we have to worry about there. It did look like it could be pretty bad for him, but if he's going to be out there and they're going to be able to run the ball and kind of you know, make this clock just, just continually run the whole time and whatever. And I mean, there's still some, uh, obviously a ton of talent at the wide receiver position for the Steelers. It's just, can Mr. Trubisky actually get them the ball? That's kind of the big question, which he was not able to really do in week one, all that effectively. But I just see two really bad offenses going at a game here where if I can get eight points with either one, if this was flip-flopped, I'd take it with the, I'd take it with the Patriots. So like, I just don't think either one of these teams is built to beat, to blow anybody out. And so, um, that's kind of how I, I look at this one. You guys have said enough about the Patriots offense mm-hmm. being pretty suspect. Let me just echo how suspect the Steelers offense is too, because they were again putrid to start the year last week. 4.4 yards per play, Trubisky negative completion percentage over expectation, offensive line below average pass block and run block win rate. I, luckiest winner by far in week yeah. one. I mean, they they should have lost that game 18 different ways if the Bengals had a long snapper. And if you play it over again, I mean, they might lose that game by three touchdowns a lot of the time. So I zero red zone trips in the second <laughs> half for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Only offensive scores in the first half came off turnovers that started inside the opponent's 45-yard line. So they went in, in by three in OT which included a pick six earlier in the game. I mean, how lucky can you get to win that game? All that being said, this number's moved now steadily to 
Steelers, uh, Steelers plus two. There's a plus two and a half on the board now. I don't think we're going to get there, but if we somehow get a Steelers plus three with everything you talked about, about the concerns of the Patriots offense, an offense that's spending like $28 million in cap hits between Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, and Nelson freaking Aguilar. Like this, they, to your point, they have no playmakers. So if we get a three point home dog here somehow, Again, not sure we're going to get it, but I think that's the only point where I'd be interested in this game. Yeah, and, on the Steelers. and I would certainly come in. Yeah, if we, if we were to get the full three, I'd probably come back in just on a on a straight play on them as well. We'll see if it gets there. Who knows? I mean, the Patriots have been popular over the years, but that was when Captain Tom was back there. So we Mac we'll Jones see. back spasms too. By yeah. the way, we don't know the extent of that because New England's like super secret and won't say anything. So we don't know how bad that back's messed up for Mac Jones either. Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We have a Colts team favored by three and a half as we sit here and record this. A total of 44 and a half to 45. We know how this went. The Colts looked absolutely horrible in week one. Um, Listen, they were able to move the ball pretty good. A lot of that was Jonathan Taylor just being Jonathan Taylor. But we are, you know, finding a team that could could not figure out how to beat the Texans. Now they had a 42 yard field goal in order to be able to do just that. Rodrigo Blankenship shanked the 42 yard field goal. He finds himself unemployed coming come Monday morning <laughs> because they're like, Hey, if you can't make a 42 yarder to win the game for us, then you're, you're not going to kick for us anymore. So he's no longer on the team. The Jags were feisty uh, against the commanders. That being said, at the end of the day, we're unable to get it done. Carson Wentz actually was able to make some plays in that game and got it done. So, Adam, what do we see here in the are you looking at this as a oh, an obvious bounce back spot for the Colts? Or are you looking at this as a hey, maybe we were overvaluing this Colts team a tad and this Jaguars team, despite the loss, did look pretty good at times? What I'm looking at is this is a pass for me entirely because Mm -hmm. these are two teams that I don't feel like I know a whole lot about coming out of week one. Uh, I would especially keep an eye on the injury report in this game. Uh, The Colts beat guys are saying that Buckner's limited, Pittman's limited. Uh, We're not sure who's practicing and who's going to be available. And so something's weird to me in a game where we look at Matt Ryan and that offense going for 500 plus yards and only able to put up three points in the first three quarters. Like, mm-hmm. Something's not right uh, with what's going on in Indianapolis right now. On the other side with Jacksonville, I watched a lot of Trevor Lawrence because I told you last week, I think it's one of the biggest questions in the NFL this year. Who's gonna, Trevor Lawrence going to be? And man, is that a mixed bag right now? And it's not just a matter of the offensive line, but if you just watch throw for throw with Trevor Lawrence right now, there are accuracy issues for him that might take a little while to work out. So if you forced me onto a side, you would force me onto Jacksonville with the points, but I'll pass on this game entirely. Steven, uh, Adam brought up the, the big point here, which actually did put me on the Jags. I have the Jags a plus four uh, ticket in the account. It was shortly thereafter in when this went off the four to three and a half. And that was the fact that there were two downgrades at practice for the Colts this week. DeForest Buckner went from limited to DNP. Michael Pittman went from limited to DNP on Thursday. You're looking now also at Alec Pierce, their rookie receiver, who was in who was limited in participation. Kenny Moore, their corner, also did not participate in practice on Thursday. Now, we know that can all change on a Friday, but typically when you get downgraded through the course of the week, it doesn't tend to get better as we further. So I got in on the Jags at four. I think without Pittman out there, without Buckner, I don't know if there's a huge, huge, huge difference. Now, the Colts are better. 
for sure. But if I'm catching four points at home with a Jags team where I agree with Adam, there were some moments where I'm still going like, come on, Trevor, man, what are you doing? But I also saw some moments where I'm like, that's what they were talking about with this kid. Like, that's what's going on here. And you can see, obviously, the coaching change already a big thing for this Jags team already much, much better. Uh, I, I really do like them at home here. I can be proven to be completely silly and the Colts just completely boat race them. But um, that's uh, that's not how I feel this is going to go. With this injury report, I don't think the Colts are going to boat race them. I mean, on paper, if fully healthy, we can have that conversation. But I don't think we should undersell how significant some of these injuries are for the Colts with DeForest Buckner being their main pass rusher. Michael Pittman is going to be at least compromised, it seems, in this game. He's not at 100% going from a limited to a DNP in the middle of the week. So what? What? who is Matt Ryan throwing to if Michael Pittman isn't out there? His, his next best receiver was their backup running back, Naheem Hines, in week one. That's a major issue for this offense that they don't have a secondary threat on the outside. And for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I was I was very encouraged. Yes, I agree that I watched the throws too. He missed Travis Etienne on a wide-open wheel route for a touchdown, and then Etienne returned the favor, dropping a walk-in touchdown on a screen pass by the goal line. So, yes, there were miscues for this Jacksonville offense. Despite that, they still finished top 10 in the league in week one in yards per play, 6.2 to 5.6 for Washington. So I thought they were extremely unlucky to lose that game, let alone fail to cover. And these are situations where I want to come back in and bet them again, especially as a home underdog at more than a field Mm. goal. So and especially when your opponent has injury concerns at very key positions for them. And the last thing I'll mention, too, is that. You know, we all assumed coming into the season that the Indianapolis Colts had an elite offensive line. But in week one, red flag for me, 24th in pass block yeah. win rate against the Houston Texans front seven that was supposed to be bottom of the barrel. And now they play a Jacksonville front seven that does have some young, talented pass rushers. They were eighth in pass rush win rate against what most people would agree is an above average Washington offensive line. So I think a lot of reasons to like this spot for Jacksonville. And I even if I didn't already bet it at, at four, I would still bet them at plus three and a half and I like the utilization of those receivers again like we don't whether we think they got overpaid or not that's irrelevant right I mean that's like that's not it doesn't matter how we handicap games but I liked the way that they that they were looking at these receivers right and the way that they were using Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and things like that like I think that there are some some real positives here for this. Yeah, team. they don't have a number one, but they have some solid yeah. number twos and number threes. And yet, listen, the Jags secondary stinks, but this is not Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson that they're going up against this week, especially if Pittman's banged up. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sports books all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines 
plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Let's take a look here at the Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens. As we sit right now, the Baltimore Ravens are three and a half point home favorites over the Dolphins. 44 and a half is your total. Steven, I'll start with you because you and I have the uh, same thought here on this one. Taking the points with the Dolphins. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a spot where, you know, some people might argue with us, Matt, that this is an overreaction for the Dolphins after one week against the Patriots. But I was we all said last week we shouted from the rooftops that we would never lay three and a half points or more with Tua as the quarterback. But this is not that situation. This is more than a field goal as an underdog. So I got it at four. I'd be fine with it at three and a half. I thought the Dolphins' defense looked very strong week one, number one in run-stop win rate against what was projected to be a top-10 offensive line in New England. So they have the talent to stop this Baltimore run game, a team that wants to be one of the most run-heavy teams in the league. And Baltimore, only three yards per carry week one against the Jets. What was interesting to me, and you could say game script, but it wasn't totally out of hand in the first half. Lamar only had six rush attempts, which was fewest since October 2020. So maybe a little narrative here that you know could be false, I, I fully admit, but he doesn't have that contract yet. Only ran it six times week one. I think it's at least something to look for in future weeks here. And the Dolphins' defense last year against the Ravens held them to 4.3 yards per play. Lamar only 4.5 yards per attempt passing the ball and only had 39 yards rushing on nine carries in this matchup between these two teams. And lastly, going into this matchup, both tackles are, are, yeah. are injured for the Ravens. Jawan James on IR, Ronnie Stanley, limited participant to start the week. We'll see how effective he can be. With Mike McDaniel running the script, Maybe turning Tua into a Jimmy G clone because he had a high yards per attempt in week one, although he didn't have a high EPA because they're just being safe and using some yak stuff with speed receivers. I think combine that with a strong defensive matchup for the Dolphins, and I'm happy to take the points here. So, Adam, actually even a worse situation uh, for for the Ravens than that. Uh, Stanley actually gets downgraded to DNP on Thursday. So, like, anytime you're, again, there a down, downgrade throughout the week, not good. So, it looks like they're going to be down both starting tackles. Then you look at the corner position where Kyle Fuller has to go on IR. Now you look, Marlon Humphrey pops up out of nowhere, and he's a limited participant as well. And then you look, Calais Campbell was a DNP on the defensive line as well for this squad. And again, I don't want to sit here and and like keep pointing, you know, Brandon Stevens, one of their backup corners, DNP. So like if these guys can't play, even their backups are hurt. And I think in a situation like that, you can sit here and say, Tua doesn't throw the ball down the field. He doesn't, you know, there's no A dot, there, you know, whatever, all this stuff with like that. And who cares, right? If there's no corners out there to cover, if you're literally going to be running out rookies or guys that you're pulling off of the practice squad, it is not going to matter. And good luck, by the way. I don't care if it is a six or seven yard pass. If you get the ball in Tyreek Hill's hands six or seven yards down the field, good luck trying to stop him with whoever in the hell they're going to be putting on the field out there to try to do this. Listen, I, I like the Ravens as an organization. I like the Ravens as a team. It's just, look, it's the third year in a row. We're, we're here in week two, and they are already dealing with massive, massive injury concerns that could that definitely affect how you look at handicapping a game. Like, do I love the Dolphins? I don't. Do I love 
kind of this matchup with what I see on paper? I absolutely do. I do. I love what we're getting in this one. And so um, I love, love, love the Dolphins at more than a field goal here. Yeah, I'm going to go back at a couple of points that I've heard uh, so far. One, the idea of Lamar and the contract and whether or not he runs, I don't buy that at all. Uh, That's never been a question for Lamar Jackson uh, in terms of what he's able to do and what he's willing to do. And I, I mostly look at last week and say, you know, they looked at what they had on the offensive line and thought to themselves the best chance they had to win that game was to have a chance to expose the Jets deep, which is what they did, right? That's ultimately what they chose to do was they chose to go after him uh, with the deep pass. And that's where Lamar Jackson, the one place where we've heard Lamar and has to improve was actually pretty good uh, for the Ravens last week. Now on the Dolphins side of things, I, I hear the, the feelings you guys have for Miami. I am not there. Um, the way new England played last week, Miami should have run them off the field and they didn't. And they really were fairly close to that being a touchdown game with the way some things broke to his grade last week for PFF was a 53. Um, if they can continue to, you know, give you a San Francisco light offense. And, you know, you mentioned the ability to go for yak and, and yeah, I mean, anyone coming out of the Shanahan tree in terms of passing is going to be looking to expose the yards after catch. What I worry about here is, I don't really see Miami yet at a point where I'm willing to take them going on the road uh, with points. I I don't see where, despite the injuries to the Ravens, that the Ravens can't script out a game where they're able to potentially cover these points. Now, I'm not playing it. Let me be really clear about Mm -hmm. this. I'm just staying off this game entirely. Uh, But I'm lower on Miami, I think, than a lot of of people are my numbers suggest that this this spread is just about right so uh, i think you guys are on the right side if there's going to be a side but i'll pass on it yeah i just uh, real quick steven just put a bow on this i mean like the number one receiver for the ravens for this whole season is going to be a tight end it's going to be mark andrews and like now you're going up against this secondary for the the dolphins it has javon holland they they've got you know Zayvon Howard who's going to who will be able to neutralize whether it's you know Devin Duvernay or whoever in the hell they decide is their actually actually number one receiver and then between Brandon Jones and, and Javon Holland they're they're going to be able to neutralize you know Mark Andrews as well like this secondary for the Dolphins is, is legit like they're very very good and so it's just another one of those things like I just don't know I guess they could go super, 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 super run heavy, and and that could be kind of the strategy here in this one. But I don't know how they move the ball through the air with with a ton of success either. For sure. I think it's a good matchup for Miami. Admittedly, if you're betting Miami at this point, you're getting the worst of the number this week after this opened at four and a half, came back to four, now we're at three and a half. Um, But just a greater point, Matt, I think this is a team, Miami, that we all three of us need to consider adjusting our priors on because – as we know, there's a more money in the NFL market than there is in any other sport. And this is now two weeks in a row where big money has come in immediately on Miami uh, and bet them. So this is a team that I need to at least consider my opinion was wrong coming into the season. Washington Commanders and the Detroit Lions. As we sit right now, and I'm just going to get this in because it's official until it's not official. The Lions are the favorite, are a favorite for the first time in 24 games. So this might actually go off as a pick 'em. But as of right now, they are one point favorites. It's dropped and dropped and dropped. It was two and a half. It was two. Now it's down to one and a half. Now it's down to one at DraftKings points bet Caesars. Uh, all sitting at one right now. There are some one and a half still available out there in the market if you're looking to play a teaser leg with the Commanders. Listen. 
I can be down on the commanders and I can think Carson Wentz is garbage as a, as a player in general and still acknowledge when the guy has a good game. Yes. There were a couple of bonehead throws. You're going to get that with Carson, Carson Wentz. That's just what he is. But overall, pretty good and pretty good game plan. I think like everybody was super hyped about Curtis Samuel whenever he went over to the commanders last year and did absolutely nothing. And then they come out this year and we're thinking, okay, he's an afterthought because they get John Dodson and whatever. And it's like, Oh, never mind. It's a Curtis Samuel show all of a sudden for this commander's team. And so look, if they have those three weapons to kind of go to for Carson Wentz between Dodson and Samuel and, and of course McLaurin, look, that is, that is not a bad trio. It's not the best trio, but it's certainly not a bad trio for him to be going after. And, um, Detroit Lions, look, this is just what you're going to get in them like every single week, right? Like they're not that team that gets down 17 and then just kind of quits. Like they're going to be annoying as hell to bet against all year long. They may not win a bunch of games, but they're going to make you sweat every single time you bet against them, which is going to suck if you do want to bet against them. Adam, total of 48 and a half uh, sitting right now. There was a 47 and a half here in Las Vegas in which I played the over in this game. And I'll tell you why. I think we have two competent offenses with against two bad defenses. And anytime you have two competent offenses against two bad defenses, it typically leads to points. And then let me throw in the absolute bonus of the two quarterbacks in the competent offenses being Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, who are good for a pick six between one of the two of these sons of bitches is going to happen in this game. I promise you. So like, (laughs) it is like the perfect combination in my opinion for an over to happen, like just enough offense, just enough competency on offense with just enough gunslinger to make some bad stuff happen as well. Like this just had overwritten all over it to me. And the fact that it was under 49, I think this is a 49, 50, 51 type game all day long. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Perfect conditions, indoors. We don't have to worry about weather playing a factor. We're in the dome. Uh, That's my play on this one. I don't have a real thought on the side. I love where you are with that, Matt. And I can't believe I'm going to use these words about Carson Wentz, but here it is. Better quarterback getting points, right? Mm -hmm. And Carson Wentz is the better quarterback in, in this game. Not by a lot. But he is better than Jared Goff. He has better weapons. Can we can we say less bad? I feel more comfortable with less bad. There we go. The less the lesser of two evils, Adam. That's what we're going. Yeah, I I can't say either guy is one that I'm uh, running to the window (laughs) to be able to bet week to week. But overall, look, if you trusted my evaluation of Detroit last week, and that game played out literally exactly the way I said it was going to play out last week, where they're going to get behind huge, and then they're going to come back roaring into the game the way they did against the Niners uh, the year before. Trust my evaluation this week. This is not a team that should be favored. There's just no way I could see the Detroit Lions as a favorite. So if the two is out there anywhere, and you want to be able to put Washington in the teaser, if you believe that Detroit can win a game by eight or more points. God bless and Godspeed, because I do not think that's a possibility uh, for these teams. I, I do think we need to look at Washington and what you mentioned, Matt, with this offense and say, maybe the receivers are actually good enough that they can overcome Carson Wentz, right? That gets mm-hmm. you into the less bad territory overall. So, yeah. I like where your head's at in terms of the over. I think I would also feel safe with Washington, a teaser leg past seven. I, I agree on the, on the teaser side of things as well. It was a strong, strong, strong consideration for me this week. And I'm not saying it, it, it might end up in the account anyway, if there are some one and a halfs or two still available 
uh, here in, in Nevada, because I mean, Stephen, when you take a look at it, the thing is, is the reason that the lions aren't really built to win by more than eight points is because even if they build a lead, which, you know, it seems like they're always playing from behind, but even if they build a lead, the defense is so bad that like Carson, if Carson Wentz got into a two minute offense and he has those three receivers and like, they have to be super aggressive because they have to move the ball and go score. Like, they're likely to get some sort of points on the board that would that would screw your you know that would screw up the them covering the teams like so for me it's it's I just don't see them built like that but also I think the Lions maybe even the Commanders as well are teams we need to look at as just kind of air quote over teams moving forward given that it looks like the offenses are competent and the defenses are going to be like bottom five units. Here's an angle to consider. Uh, Washington first quarter. Detroit was at or near the bottom in EPA and success rate first quarter last season. This goes in line with what you guys have talked about. They're comeback kings. I know they scored early last week, but you know, let's look at the bigger sample size here. And Washington's offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, top 10 last year in first quarter success rate, despite having Taylor Heineke as his quarterback, adds uh, adds Dotson, adds Curtis Samuel back into the mix. Logan Thomas is still playing a little bit. Still have Terry McLaurin out there, so very explosive. And if you watch the tape from Washington last week, what I saw was a lot of very impressive designs that was getting Carson Wentz a wide-open receiver on his first read. What were our criticisms of, Car- of Carson Wentz coming in? He can't get off his first read, and when he gets in, and when his first read isn't open, he makes bad mistakes and takes sacks and throws picks. Well, what if his first read is wide open? Mm. Because that's a pretty high likelihood. It was in week one. Detroit's injury report on defense doesn't look great coming into this week. Their number two corner, Amani Oruari, is was fine and then downgraded to limited on Thursday with a back injury. Plus, the Lions' offensive line on the flip side looks really banged up right now. Frank Ragnow still has the groin. He now has a foot injury, back-to-back DMPs this week. They already put Vitae on IR coming into the season, one of their starting guards. Their other guard, Jonah Jackson, downgraded from limited DMP Wednesday to Thursday. So, yeah, I think wrong team favored here. I, I I bet the Washington win total under coming into the year, but that was with the assumption that they were likely going to beat Jacksonville and Detroit to start the season anyway. So um, I think my favorite angles here, I haven't bet them yet. I'm still on the fence, but I'm, my favorite angles are, are Washington first quarter and then Washington team total over 23 and a half or over 24. Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. This one shouldn't take long. Uh, Sitting right now, eight and a half in favor of the 49ers. 41 is your total. Uh, Steven, this is kind of, this is very simple for me. The 49ers were 10 point favorites. It gets announced that George Kittle isn't going to play, which we all knew anyway, and it dropped to eight and a half. Like, what, what are we not paying attention to? George Kittle was never going to play in this game. And, and it, like George Kittle gets officially announced out. And then this thing goes down to, to eight and a half. That was already baked into the line. Like we're, we're reacting to news that should have already been known. It became an obvious, like maybe the most obvious teaser leg outside of Cincinnati, which we'll talk about later of the week. You take the 49ers down to two and a half. And this is just a no brainer. I don't need to tell you that you throw out what you saw last week in that game. I mean, listen, do we still do we still not really know what we have in Trey Lance? Yes, but it doesn't really matter against this Seahawks team. Look, 
You can point to them winning last week. The Broncos should have won that game by double digits. They get to the one, two different times and fumble. They get to the three and have to settle for a field goal. Like it was, it it was just the, the gods coming down and giving Pete Carroll an absolute gift in that game. But I mean, if you look at their second half drives, no point scored whatsoever for Seattle. It was drives of 17, 37, negative six, and then three kneel downs. Like that was the, all they had in the second half. I mean, it was a putrid, putrid show. It's a putrid offense. It's a bad team. Don't get fooled by the fact that they were gifted a win in week one. You take the 49ers down to two and a half. You move on with your day. You play the 49ers in Survivor this week. You move on with your day. It's going, they're not going, the Seattle Seahawks are still one of the three worst teams in all the NFL. Yes, I also have the 49ers minus two and a half on a teaser leg. I would be lying if I said I was completely comfortable with it because I am not sure how I feel about Trey Lance for week two versus my confidence in him long term with Kyle Shanahan being able to craft him. Uh, But we're looking at a spread here, guys, that I think the market is telling us that they're not sure that the the team that is more than a touchdown favorite has the better quarterback in the game because I'm not sure Trey Lance is at that point. I went back and watched every pass Trey Lance had in week one before kind of the monsoon started. And what I saw was when he has time and he can get planted, he can deliver strikes, including deep balls back across the opposite side of the field, something we never saw the 49ers be able to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. So the tools are there. But when he got a little bit of pressure, then he was off target. When he wasn't planted, he was off target. He threw an easy, wide-open throw to a guy off target, stopped the drive. He had a deep ball that he missed because he was on the move and couldn't deliver it on target that would have put the Niners first and goal inside the tent. So he is a work in progress. And with that comes, I think, more conservative Kyle Shanahan than I would like. The 49ers were already 31st in in first down pass rate a year ago. In the first half last week, they ran the ball on 11 of 14 first down plays. Now, again, they don't have George Kittle. Now they lose Eli Mitchell, who had 6.8 yards per carry last week. I mean, I don't know how anybody would bet on the 49ers to cover the spread this week. If you're talking spread, it's, it's Seahawks are nothing for me. And I just think that right now this this team is being priced like the quarterback is fine. And I'm not sure we're at that point yet. Adam, I just don't think we're really going to get much out of I don't think we're going to learn much either this week out of um, Trey Lance because they're not going to need to. I think they run the ball. I'm not even kidding you like. 65% of the plays this week. It, they're, the Seattle defensive line is just absolutely atrocious. They're going to be able to run at will on them. So I don't think we learn a lot this week from Trey Lance or anything like that. But look, it's the Niners are going to win this game. I promise you the Niners are going to win this game. What say you? Pass is actually what I say. Uh, I'm willing mm. to throw last week out, but I'm also realistic that we didn't know anything before last week, right? And that's the real question for me here is that it's not like we can throw last week out and say, well, you know, Trey Lance, we've seen it before. No, no. uh, Twice in the 49ers last 45 games, they have scored 10 points or fewer. And both of those games were started by Trey Lance. So I'm not sure that Pete Carroll is the defensive coach that I want to be going against 
with that situation because my valuation of Denver and Seattle last week is Pete Carroll's going to find a way to slop this game up. And I thought Seattle would cover. I didn't think they'd win outright, uh, but I didn't want to lay it with Denver. And so I hear you guys. I think it's a, a spot where you look at that teaser leg and say, sure, very attractive with San Francisco uh, two and a half. I don't know that I want to get in front of this game at all, though, because I think the variance of what Lance can bring to it is still very high. Atlanta Falcons on the road at the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are 10-point favorites at all shops except for one. There's a nine and a half on the board out there. 46 and a half to 47 is your total here. Adam, this one, look, this is the classic, everyone, you know, the classic bounce back spot. The, you know, the Rams play the best team in the NFL in week one. Everyone thinks the Rams suck, but really it's just you played the best team in the NFL in week one. They come back, they're able to play, you know, the Falcons who maybe looked a little bit better than they actually should have looked last week, et cetera. So like, there's a lot of narratives kind of going into this one. The the Rams, I don't look, I think that the Bills defense is awesome. Like, I don't, I, I, I I picked the Bills to win the game. I would like nothing that happened in that game shocks me, right? Like I didn't see anything that blew me away. I still think the Rams are one of the five best teams in the NFL, but they just ran into the best team. In the NFL, you had a team that played no starters in the preseason. That's just what McVay does. Was there a little bit of rust? I think so. I think Matthew Stafford, if you gave him truth serum, would tell you that there was some rust going on with him, and which is why he didn't look Allen Robinson's way, which is why it was just hike Cooper Cup, hike Cooper Cup, hike Cooper Cup every single time because that's what he knows and that's what he's familiar with. I imagine there's a little bit more chemistry now, a little bit. They've got ga- a game under their belts. It's all this like... This is Rams. I think this is Rams. Rams big. If I had to lay, which is not in my account, if I had to lay any of the big favorites this week, this would be the one that I would play. What I have marked in my notes, Matt, is if this manages to get under 10, I think you Mm. can feel pretty comfortable with Los Angeles because this game opened 13, right? It opened 13. What exactly changed for us to get to 10? I understand if it moves a point or two, but this has moved a lot and we're down to a fairly key number at 10. And so, look, if you want to buy what you saw out of the Falcons last week, again, good luck and and have fun with that. But I'm not going to be in that situation. Uh, Maybe there's more concern for Matthew Stafford's elbow than others have than we have. But ultimately, I agree with you. I think this is Rams and Rams big. I know we say classic bounce back spot, and maybe you think about that and say, oh, I don't know, right? You would be a little hesitant. No, I I think this really is the place. The Falcons are still horrible, uh, and they couldn't even hold on to the lead they had last week against the New Orleans team that was struggling. Yeah, it, this just Adam. This seems like one way traffic. I mean, uh, uh, Stephen, this seems like one way traffic to me. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you even make a case really here for the Falcons. I think they ran a little bit above expectation last week. And uh, the one thing we do know is if your number one receiver is a tight end, and you know the other your other receiver is your best receiver is a rookie. That's just not going to translate to like week in, week out, every single week. And then, of course, now you go up against this Rams team, Rams defensive front, secondary, all the different things like that. Like, I seems like one way traffic to me. Um, yeah. And I, I'm with you, Adam. Like, this thing gets to nine for whatever reason. I, I think I'll even come in on the Rams this week. 
I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you guys. Uh, we have tens across the board as we record Friday morning. There is a nine and a half minus 115 at FanDuel. So we could be moving in that direction. Um, trenches mismatch here for me. Mm-hmm. Big trenches mismatch here for me. Uh, I, I think sometimes we talk overreactions in week two from week one. I, I agree with you guys. This is too many points on the move to me. And the Rams, okay, they got stopped by a defense with a consensus top three front seven and a top three secondary. And, and now we're getting three extra points against the consensus bottom five Falcons front seven and bottom five Falcons secondary. And Atlanta in week one was you know, bottom 20 in pass rush win rate. So if you had concerns about the Rams offensive line, Atlanta really doesn't have much to take advantage of it. And if the Falcons are going to blitz like they did last week, they blitzed on 33% of dropbacks. Well, Stafford was 68% completion percentage against the blitz last year, which was top five in the NFL. So yeah, I'm that's a buy point for me if we get to nine and a half and I'm still considering a half unit at 10. Yeah. And if you're in, a non-circa survivor pool. I, I don't hate the the Rams either yep. as your play this week. You got to hold on to them if you're in circa, but if you're in a non-circa one, I think that that's a, a pretty solid survivor play as well. Houston Texans and the Denver Broncos. We don't have to recap what we saw with the Denver Broncos. One of the worst coaching debuts maybe ever uh, for Nathaniel Hackett. Just blew it in every single way humanly possible. That said, they are 10-point favorites over the Texans back at home this week in Denver. 45.5 to 46 is your total. Steven, again, I, I go back to what I said. They, they get it to the one-yard line twice, can't get it in. They get to the three-yard line, have to settle for a field goal. Like The red, red zone offense was completely atrocious. The sequencing in play calling was really weird at times. Not, throwing, not targeting a wide receiver for 22 minutes in the game to start off. Just very odd for Nathaniel Hackett. I'm going to give him a pass. It's his first game that he's ever coached in the NFL. But you got to start getting your stuff correct here. Your 10-point favorites at home. I need to see it first before I can before I would be able to lay any sort of number anywhere close to this with this Broncos squad. Do I think they're far superior to the Texans? Yes, but I, I can't get there. If anything, it'd be like an overlook for me because I think the there'd be a correction on the Broncos side of things where they probably should have scored 30 something last week. Where, you know, can they put up close to that this week against the Texans and you're only asking the Texans to score you 14, 17 garbage time points or something like that. Like if anything, an overlook for me, but nothing in the account in this one. On our team preview, I said that I thought the Broncos would be a big over team this year. And this week I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I bet over 45, I'd be fine at 45 and a half here mm-hmm. to all your points. 6.8 yards per play week one, very solid, just brutal red zone luck. Over four in the red zone, the two goal line fumbles. And I think this defense was overrated coming into the year. They no longer have Vic Fangio. And I thought they were pretty fortunate to be top five in in points allowed last year, considering they were 20th in yards allowed per drive and also 20th in defensive DVOA. So they allowed Geno Smith to throw seven yards per attempt last week. So that's not a great start for them. And on the other side of the ball, I think the other thing that helps the over here is something interesting happened with the Texans and Pep Hamilton and David Mills last week. 
They were number four in situation neutral pace. Yeah. They were also they were running like plays left and right, dude. It was yeah. crazy. And they were also yeah. number four when leading by seven plus points. That's what's interesting to me. They held the lead for most of that game and they still were operating their offense at a very high pace. Mm. That's compared to 23rd in the league last year in situation neutral. So I think everything kind of lines up here for an over. Adam, uh, Broncos, 10-point favorites at home, 45-and-a-half is your nope. total. <laughs> I mean, if you want me to go deeper into it, I can, but I don't want anything to do with this game. Uh, that's perfectly fine. I love it. Listen, hey, we're like we said, we're not going to waste people's time when, it, when we don't have to. Arizona Cardinals and the Las Vegas Raiders. This one's fairly interesting. This was this had gotten as high as six in favor of the Raiders. We started to see buyback and get to five and a half. Now we're to five. Now, again, these are not significant numbers and key numbers, but it does just mean money was coming back in the other direction on the Cardinals to get it off of that six, which has actually become the third most key number now with the extra point thing. So we're going three, seven, six, and six actually not trailing seven by all that much here as of late. So um, Dud come off of that sitting five, five and a half right now in favor of the Raiders. Adam, I don't know if we saw a ton from this, uh, from this Raiders team last week. I mean, it was a very weird deal where Carr had three turnovers where he's actually, he usually protects the ball pretty well. So it's kind of like an aberration as opposed to the norm situation. And then the Cardinals just, Again, they're they're absolutely horrible right now with all their injuries, with the suspension of DeAndre Hopkins. Like, I don't know really what to do with this one. So it's a sit back and watch for me. I, you know, I just can't find a way to to, to get there on either side. I'll take Arizona in the points. And I think you okay. have a clearly better quarterback getting points in this game. Uh, Kyler Murray doesn't have a lot of weapons. Okay. And we just heard this morning for certain that Rondell Moore is going to be out for this game. So obviously he's way down on weapons. But you know what else is down? The Raiders defense. Uh, last week, we heard that this defense was going to get by on its pass rush, right? Chandler Jones and Max Crosby did not get home. They didn't even get pressures like Max Crosby was OK. Chandler Jones was not. And so if they can't get to Kyler Murray and Kyler Murray has time to make things happen, I have grave concerns for this Raiders defense. Now, on the other side of the ball, you mentioned Derek Carr taking the ball care of the ball fairly well. I would go back to what Joey Bosa said last year after the Chargers played the Raiders, where he said, we knew that if we could hit him a couple of times, he would start to rattle. So I would suggest that if you're thinking about playing the Raiders, go read some of the comments from offensive coordinator Mick Lombardi. They were asking him were the beat writers this week. What do you think about how Derek Carr played, how the offensive line played? And I think Mick Lombardi gave you a little bit of information that you need. He used the word footwork more than once with Derek Carr. Once he starts to feel pressure, he doesn't step into throws. And one of those interceptions was a flat-footed interception that he just stood there and threw right into the hands of the Chargers defense. So I overall feel a lot more confident in Arizona bouncing back here than I do in the Las Vegas Raiders ability to you know, keep any sort of momentum that they had yeah. last week going. And, and listen, I think I think those are very good points you brought up about car and pressure, because here's the thing. The Cardinals blitzed Mahomes last week, 51 percent of his dropbacks. Right. But the problem is, is Mahomes eats up the blitz like he like just he loves whenever you blitz him. And so it worked to their detriment vastly. Right. But 
Steven, if they employ that same defensive strategy this week against Derek Carr, things could get a little bit more interesting because Carr is certainly not the guy against the blitz that Mahomes is. And so maybe we see all of those Cardinals blitzes actually come to fruition as opposed to being a big detriment to the team. Adam's not alone. If, if you go listen to the Gridiron Gamble podcast on our YouTube channel, then you'll also hear Mo Nawara and Brett Colson also like Arizona to cover this week. So I'll let you guys listen to them. I don't have a, a big lean here. It's my final prop of the year. So uh, I suck at props. So if you want to fade it, please, by all means, go ahead. Uh, Devontae Adams over seven and a half receptions, 17 targets last week, hyper targeted. Could be a high-scoring game here and a little narrative street for you. His grandparents have never seen him play a game in person in his life. This week will be the first time. So Devontae is going to go out there and do it for Grandmom and Papa. Right, Adam? I that's, that's a good one. I suck at props. No. This is what I'm down to. I suck so bad at props I'm going with the, with the pop pop I, Hey, I played the Adams <laughs> over six and a half last week, and I think if you want to charge this one to Peepaw and Meemaw, you go right ahead and do it because Devontae <laughs> yeah. Adams will see the football. To, to put a cap on this thing, guys, the preseason yeah. look, the uh, Superbook numbers from May had the Raiders laying two. If you can make me a case for why the Raiders would add three and a half to four points, uh, go right ahead. Yeah. Cincinnati Bengals and the Dallas Cowboys right now. Cincinnati, seven, seven and a half point road favorites over the Cowboys. 41 and a half to 42 is your total here. Guys, we know the situation. No Dak Prescott for the Cowboys for a while. Not getting back any of those receivers either, at least for this week. So, we're going out there with C.D. Lamb and Noah Brown and all these guys like that, Jalen Tolbert and whatever, all this stuff. So it's going to be a, an interesting game no, uh, no matter what here for this Cowboy squad. Look, this was the most obvious teaser leg of the week for me. It is in every single leg. Like I have I have Bengals Saints, Bengals Steelers, Bengals Niners. Like it's it, like Bengals is the, is the anchor for me this week. They're going to win this game by at least a point. This is – look. If you look back to Cincinnati last week, it's the same deal we're kind of talking about with the Rams. Burrow didn't get as much work in preseason as you'd have liked because he had the appendectomy surgery. The same deal that Stafford had the elbow thing that he didn't get as much work as you would have liked. The starters didn't play in preseason, so it was kind of their first action out there and all that. And even still, they had multiple opportunities to win the game. It's just the long snapper and the kicker couldn't get it done. For this, for this team. So, look, this seems like a boat race type situation to me. I think the Cowboys defense is bad as well. I think Burrow throws for 300 plus in this thing. I think Jamar Chase goes absolutely nuts. Um, this might be a sneaky over, even with the Cowboys being so terrible. But, Adam, if you look at it, it's like, what if Cincinnati puts up 35 on their own? And I think that's very well within the range of outcomes here. Like, I, I think them putting... Five touchdowns on the board is very, very within the range of outcomes against this Cowboys team that I expect to have very little success, maybe some turnovers, maybe some short fields for Joe Burrow and company. So um, love, love, love them in a teaser leg. I could not love it anymore. And then again, I think it's a sneaky over type deal because I think Cincinnati gets you majority of the way there and you're not asking Dallas for, for very much to help out. If you're watching on YouTube... You can see me pouring one out right now. And I'm not pouring one out for Dak Prescott. I'm pouring one out for me because Dak Prescott oh. getting hurt blew up my ability 
to bet against the Cowboys for at least three or four weeks before everyone figured out that they're frauds. I told you last week that the Cowboys were the most overrated team in the NFL, and they showed you on the field very quickly that they suck. And this team is not going to be any good, even with Dak Prescott. So the Dallas Cowboys are still a obvious fade in the spot that you're talking about here, Matt, with the teaser leg. I know Steven's going to be here as well, because I know he talked about having some teasers from last week tied up to Cincinnati when they were Mm -hmm. getting points. And I think that was clearly a mistake that Cincinnati was getting points in the first place. So I'll leave it right there. The Cowboys were going to suck without Dak Prescott. They're going to suck more with Cooper rush. And I'm just mad that I don't get the opportunity to fade them when the market still has some (laughs) belief. All right, Adam. So you mentioned it. I had two and a half on the spread. I got eight and a half on the teaser leg. I feel like I'm sitting with 11 and the dealer showing a six. My doubling down here. On the current teaser no leg? Need. No, you've no got need. everything you, you need. you got the best of everything. Yes, you got the uh, no need. There we go. Good lesson for everybody. There we go. Yeah, dude, good Good on you for having the foresight for that. Good on you. I'm jealous of that number, but dude, this is going to be, this could be a full-on beat down, and so we just got to, we got to look at it and call a spade a spade. Like Cincinnati is going to get right in this game. They're going to get right in a big way. Burrow, Wait, over 300 still- yards. Do you guys still want to see what this offensive line does after they got wrecked last week, though? Because that that is the one thing just moving. I think they're going to win the game. I don't have any concerns. But moving forward, I want to see better win rates from this offensive line against Dallas. Uh, Yeah, they need to gel. They always talk about with offensive lines, right? Like they play as a cohesive unit and like it's right out of the gate. It's just going to be a little tough. They'll be. Yeah. The one thing I would say is I think you look at Dallas and you're going to start doubling Micah Parsons and that's going to be it. Right. I know it's harder to do because yep. he doesn't come every snap, but they're going to know where Micah Parsons is every snap. And it's a lot different than defending TJ Watt and Cam Hayward. Guys, we have full breakdowns of the Sunday night game and both Monday night games coming to you on Sunday mornings and Monday mornings here on the YouTube channel. So be sure to come back. We'll get you the latest info on those games as well. It is a very interesting week, too. Hopefully, you're still in your survivor pool. Hopefully, you had a good week in your contest that you played. And hopefully, of course, you had a good week just on your normal betting card everything we do absolutely free so please go in subscribe rate review we really do appreciate all of that from you guys and let us know in the comment section if you agree disagree whatever it might be we're here free contests each and every week over at the lines.com so please sure head over there get in free money gift card swag all the different stuff like that we want you guys to feel a part of the community for adam for steven i'm matt good luck in week two